Hi, my name is Betty. Hi, my name is Erica. And today in our podcast, we're going to talk about Native American women and how poverty has affected them. We're going to dive into things um, like history and mental illness, as well as some government-depending programs, and why we think that this is all happening and why they are not beneficial, and what can we do to help this issue. So one of the first topics we wanted to dive into was how poverty really affected the Native American people and how that really has started from years ago and now has still carried on to the current day. One of the things that we wanted to talk about was how geographic location has a big influence on the poverty that Native Americans face. And it really started with the Andrew Jackson administration with the Indian Removal Act. Under this, uh, the administration decided to remove thousands of Native Americans from their own native land and were sent to government bought plots. And essentially they were just left on those plots. And from this, they were just left and were expected to take care of everything um, for themselves, expected to survive without any sort of government help after they were just removed from their homeland. Um, And one thing we've seen, especially in the documentary Unseen Tears, is this sort of um, topic of assimilation. Basically, what we saw was that the Native American um, individuals were basically beaten, murdered, and forced to give up um, specific cultural traits that they've been practicing their whole lives, and now uh, put to follow something that they have no idea what even like is going on and something completely new to them. So it's introducing this sort of trauma aspect as you know someone's being put into something completely new where they don't know like anything about it. And they're basically being forced to um, do this. And if they don't, then repercussions like being beaten, murdered, and even raped, especially women, if they weren't practicing that, that was the repercussions that they'd suffer. And so they had to um, practice that. And with this, we start to see the beginning of a lot of trauma within the Native Americans and how we see that they started to un have a sense of distrust between us uh, colonizers and them, the Native Americans. And when we look at the Native American people, they are a sturdy and firm, reassuring group of people where they are always trusting in each other, they support each other, and now, in a sense, they have to remove all these qualities about them and have to understand and respect and be forced into this position that they've never been in before and expect to be at that level that the colonizers were at during this period of time. So as we begin this conversation, one of the first things I really wanted to address is how the government will always talk about the history of our nation and how prosperous uh, people lived and how everyone had access, they had their own free liberty, and they were um, able to use the free markets and allowed to own their private land and have their private property rights to promote entrepreneurship and innovation. But during this time period, we see the amount of hypocrisy coming from the United States where unfortunately such prosperity did not exist for these Native Americans. They were left 
on their own, they were institutionalized, where they were forced to assimilate to traditions and ways of life that they had not been exposed to. They were not allowed to even own the land. They were forced to live off the land that the government provided for them and expected to be self-sufficient in that sense. And we see here, this starts the cycle of poverty within the Native Americans and how we have left them on their own when they should have been receiving help from the government and also not even removed from the land in the beginning. So really diving into poverty with Native Americans, one of the first things we noticed starting from the hundreds of years ago is the geographic location in which they live in. When they were forced from their lands during the Indian Removal Act, they were removed from almost all of society. They were forced into these rural areas with limited access to major cities. And when we see this, we see a lot of dependence on the land that they live on. So these Native Americans who already started off with nothing because they were left with nothing, um, they are trying to manage and live off their land. And a lot of this does not provide them the money that they need to survive. So a lot of these Native American communities are now falling into poverty. And with this poverty as seen here, um, as talked about in the foundation of uh, the foundation of economic education, um, we see that there's a disproportionate amount of Native Americans that are poverty stricken in comparison to just all Americans in poverty. We see that there is 24% of Americans in poverty, but of that 24%, over 12% is Native Americans alone. So almost half of that is from the Native American communities, also including the Alaskan Natives. So when we think about this, we start to think about how this will affect healthcare. And like Erica, I wanted to ask you, like, don't you think that there's a bit of an issue regarding healthcare in this geographic location and limitations by that? So basically something that I've um, noticed that's been discussed in other courses that we've taken previously, we've seen that individuals who are living in rural areas are especially um, living in poverty, don't have access to specific necessities like health care. And let's say, especially if they can't afford a car, um, and there's no bus route that's out there that they can access. And let's say they need to receive a mammogram. Obviously, mammograms are free. But if they don't have a way to get there, and, you know, I know that there's been um, times where there's, like, specific offices that really want to promote getting a mammogram. So they'll send vans out to people that um, can't get there themselves so they can still access that need for that. Um, basically, it doesn't go everywhere that they say it does. So especially people in rural areas where there's only like 20 people living out there, they're probably not going to be able to get there. So things like that, like a mammogram is a necessity and a car is a necessity. And I think that it's really important that we address these things because especially with Native American individuals who are already living in an area where they're basically forced to live there on their own, if that makes any sense. They are already um, 
going to be more susceptible to probably some chronic illness since they don't have accessibility to any of these things. And on top of that, we have poverty, which is already going to lead and make them more susceptible to other chronic conditions like mental illness. And we'll get into that later, but like, especially with mental illness on the rise, I mean, this is really, really important to discuss and make the connections as to why these things are happening and really just get to the root of the issue. So yeah, I really think, Erica, that you made some really good points about the limited access that these Native Americans have within the remote areas that they live in. And some of what we also see here is the effect of PTSD on these individuals, because in the 1500s, when the Spanish came here and started to take away their land, we see this progression of change within these individuals and how they were treated and that mistreatment led to the PTSD that they experienced during that time. And one of the things that we talked about in the historical trauma PowerPoint from Dr. Mandel is the intergenerational trauma that can occur from centuries ago or hundreds of years ago to now. And one of the things that was discussed is how um, do the, the high elevation of stress that these individuals had during this time period, this can then alter the genes that they have and cause um, intergenerational trauma that then is passed down to their children. And then they also have the similar, same similar trauma that their ancestor has. And we see this not only from the 1500s and the Spanish came, but then through the continuation of the, uh, Andrew Jackson administration. And so now these people who are suffering from a chronic mental illness who are having a long-term effect of this trauma are now not able to receive the kind of care that they need and are left and are now having this period of time where they have no one else to look to, no one else to look to help, and they have to then start depending on other things to help make their day-to-day better. And for the government not to help them, we are now seeing this trend where uh, these um, Native Americans are just suffering and there is nothing there that's helping them. So you make a good point there, Betty, um, with mental illness. So obviously, as we can see, mental illness really just affects almost everybody that's around right now. Um, more people are open about it. Others are very shut off about it. But three um, different types of mental illness that we wanted to cover today were what we um, have already kind of touched on PTSD, post-traumatic disorder, depression, and alcoholism. Um, so we're going to kind of dive in, um, to each basically saying what they are, signs and symptoms and, um, you know, the prevalence and rates that we see through the native American population, especially women. Um, so first post-traumatic stress disorder, um, we can see that a lot through individuals who've been through traumatic experiences. So something like being through war, being in the military in a different country and actually experiencing, um, the violence uh, surrounding that. Also, just, you know, being a victim of a mass shooting, um, just watching all that occur in front of you is, you know, very obviously traumatic. Um, And so things that can happen with that are basically stemming from that traumatic um, thing that's happened to you. You can go through points of depression and alcoholism, actually. They'll all uh, connect interchangeably. 
but specifically signs and symptoms of PTSD, you can see basically the person can be triggered by, you know, everyday things. So especially if they're a war veteran and they've been around a lot of, you know, louder noises and they've obviously watched some things that not everyone should see with that associates with those loud noises. Um, let's say, you know, someone drops something and it's really loud in a public area, you know, they can start, they'll scare them and they can become triggered and then possibly lash out on others around them. Um, connecting that, we can also see depression. Um, depression is a, actually a very common um, mental health disorder with a lot of people currently and in the past as well. Um, basically what that is, is um, a condition in which the person doesn't only feel sad, we tend to see a lot of people associate sadness with depression. Um, it can be the feeling of sadness, but also just the loss of interest, which may inhibit them from basically doing any, you know, everyday activities that they would do all the time. Just going to school, um, going to work, hanging out with friends, hanging out with family, going to dinners, things like that. They just, you know, one day they don't want to do that or they don't feel the motivation to be able to do so. And um, it may not result from a single event, but possibly multiple events and factors can um, trigger that type of feeling. So uh, especially something like PTSD, we can see a lot of people going through traumatic experiences. Um, people can definitely suffer from depression, but also tagging in now alcoholism. Alcoholism is um, basically the abuse of alcohol which can stem from traumatic experiences, but also genetic behaviors. If you see, you know, basically, I know I've said basically a lot. Um, your parent is abusing alcohol and then they'll lash out on others around them. Um, you can ad possibly adopt that attitude and behavior as well because you've been exposed to that type of behavior around you, especially at a young age too. Um, so with all of these, We've noticed a high, alarmingly high um, rate in Native American adults. So about um, in a study conducted by Duran et al., um, this was a study that correlated prevalence of mental disorders, just general mental, mental disorders among Native American women. They found that 21% of American Indian Atlantic Native individuals suffered from mental illness. Um, and that's pretty alarming for the, it's a pretty small population compared to other population. So 20, I mean, 21% of any population is pretty big, especially when you're talking about mental illness. We know it's alive and well, and we know that a lot of people experience this and may not even be talking about it, but 21% of accounted for, I should say, 21% of people that have been accounted for with mental illness, that's an alarming number and we should definitely focus more on that. Yeah, I really think that these are things that should be talked about because when we look at the stats, uh, the statistics of this all, Native American children and adolescents have the highest rates of lifetime major depressive episodes and highest self-reported depression rates than any other ethnic or racial group. And this is coming from the Mental Health American or Organization. And we see that there is also breakdowns of other uh, races, races and nationalities within this. And we see this alarming number of Native American children experiencing this. And we also can compare this to uh, the uh, Native Indigenous people in America 
they to use and abuse alcohol and other drugs, they start at significantly younger ages and higher rates than other ethnic groups. And I think that's something that should be a lot um, talked about a lot more, like you said, Erica, because such a, um, such coping mechanisms are really detrimental to their health. And since they're start, starting at such a young age, we don't know how much this will affect them in their later years. And not to also um, forget about the older population, but the older population of Native Americans. An estimated 30% of Native Americans have experienced some amount of PTSD in their lifetime. And we can see that some of this is from that historical intergenerational trauma that they have experienced throughout these years. And we can correlate the dependence on alcohol to the level extremes of PTSD. And, and when we talk about this, um, this severity of the PTSD and that intergenerational trauma, we see that these younger kids are now having to deal with also the level of stress that their ancestors have felt. This is not something that was, that happened years ago and had finished when it happened. This is something that has carried on for years and years and years. And it is hard to address these facts for certain people just because of the severity, but also the fact that um, when we continue on with this conversation of statistics, 27% of Native Americans have experienced some amount of PTSD in their lifetime. So when we look at this, while 27 to 30% is not a large number, it is still significant enough to see that this is almost a third of their population. This is out of, this is 33 people out of every 100. This is more than we think it is. And it's something that is, we should talk about more and something that we should also um, address. And so when we think about this abuse and dependence, we look at the depression side of this and how the overall suicide rates are almost uh, the suicide rate between ages of 15 and 19 is more than double that of non-Hispanic white individuals within the country. That is an alarming rate. These are the these are the people that are growing up, starting to develop who they are, starting to live their lives, and seeing this these level of stats coming from the mental health American organization, like this is showing that this is not just new. This is something that has been going on for years and years and years. And like Erica, you said, this is something that needs to be talked about. This is something that needs to be addressed because things are not getting better. We would not have to have this conversation today if the if we had some amount of help for these individuals when this all started. Native American and Indigenous people in America report experiencing serious and psychological distress two and a half times more than the general population over a month's time. So that statistic alone just shows you how great the severity is. And it shows you that this is not just a small issue. This is something that is becoming so large that we are starting to in, uh, encounter the lack of resources. We are starting to see what the lack of resources to help these people is affecting. These people are left to their own and they are left to survive and they are left to themselves without that help. And without that help, they, are, they don't have the ability to have the successful and prosperous life that the America has promised to them. So basically one point we also want to just um, discuss is 
the correlation between poverty and the mental illnesses that we've just described and discussed in um, the population of Native American women. So through the history that we've seen, basically these individuals um, have been through a lot of traumatic things. Their land has been taken away. They're forced to live in a way that, you know, they haven't been used to. Um, more strict and basically told to do something that is not what they're used to. Then we kind of go across, you know, so they're given land and, you know, some money saying, hey, we're sorry, like in the 80s. Hey, we're sorry for um, doing that to you, or we're sorry this has happened to you, so this is what you get. Well, if we, you know, drive past reservations, typically we know when we're there. Not meaning that in a negative way, but we can see that a lot of these areas are very run down in a sense. So these buildings are small. They're just not always rotting, but it just looks very like underfunded. Um, and especially in with women too. Women are at a disadvantage in many um, different populations, whether it's white, African-American, Native American, Asian American, any type of um, culture. We've seen a lot of just women be inferior or seen as inferior to others, especially males or male presence. Um, so where I'm going with all of this is basically poverty. They've had to go through historical trauma, then be given basically a piece of land told to live off of it with no really money or anything. Then we have mental illness that can stem from that. Also stem from the trauma that these individuals have just been through. Um, and we see alarming statistics of alcoholism, PTSD, and depression, but also the poverty rates are insane too. We see increasingly, especially with women, we've seen an increase in single women um, run households. Um, we've seen an increase in poverty in the, especially Native American women run households. Um, and I just, that's sad because I feel like we have discussed this enough for any change to be done. Not a, like I can tell you right now, Betty and I had probably no idea that this was even occurring, which upsets me in a sense because I wish I would have known, but I'm glad I do know now or that we know now, but we just got to figure out ways to help with this. Now we got to figure out, you know, what's been done, what has been done for them to help just any individual that's going through poverty, what has been done. So we're going to discuss that and I think that's a really good point to bring into our next part of this conversation, Erica, is that what the what of what is being done, the what of what programs are being used that for these individuals, the what of what is working, what is not working. And I think that's a really important question to ask, just because when we look at the what, there are programs that are in place. But what is working is also a big part of that question, because if something is not working, then why do we have it? So one of the first parts of this question that I want to talk about, some of the programs that are in place, 
to help with the Native Americans. And Medicaid is a big one, like a big uh, government funding uh, organization for the Native Americans because Medicaid rep uh, payments represent about 13% of the um, IHS programs that American Indian or Native Americans use. And one of four working age American Indians and Alaskan Natives uh, rely on this Medicaid. And we think about that percentage and that is significant. That is half of that population. That is a large amount. And why is it that they're able to get that? And it's because the government has realized that the Native Americans uh, should be receiving that health care because not all of the Native Americans are living on the tribal land that they were given. Since they are not living on that land, they also need to be provided that health care because they deserve that health care, especially after the years and years of trauma that we have ensued upon them. And um, that Medicaid has been used to help give them just basic health care from doctor's appointments to follow up visits, but nothing more than that. We see that Medicaid has stopped. It does not continue past that. And we see that that's just starting to become another one of those big issues of, well, we, we are able to give them health care, but why not more? Why not give them the same health care that some middle class white person receives? Why is there that divide, especially after what we have put them through? We, I think at least, I feel like Eric can agree with me on this, is that they deserve that level of same health care. And this is where we start to see a lot of the health inequities between the Native Americans and just the average white folk of the United States. And um, we talk about how 50% of the children, Native American children are on Medicaid and needing that funding. And also we see that almost the same amount are using the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP. And so um, because of this, nearly half the individuals exhaust their monthly benefits within two weeks uh, because the benefit is so low and because of how low that funding is for these people, they are now still experiencing that need of assistance. They are still not being, their needs are not being met. And this is something that is starting to affect them on more than just a day-to-day -day basis. This is now going into years and years and years of struggle and there is no help for this struggle. They're, they're just leaving them there and they're saying like, well, we are giving you this assistance. This should be enough. And we see here that it is not enough for them. So one more program we wanted to cover today, especially with the population we wanted to discuss, Native American women, is the WIC program, um, which stands for the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children. This program provides both food assistance as well as a range of support services for low-income pregnant and postpartum people. Um, according to the Center of American Progress, we found that while this program historically serves more than 1.5 million women each year, an analysis of it has found that only half of eligible pregnant women received these benefits nationally. So just think, half of the women who were pregnant have received these benefits um, nationwide. So that's half of Native American women um, in the population of Native American women. That's half of the pregnant population. And it didn't even discuss, well, what about the individuals that have had children and families already? 
are they being covered? Are they being covered not as much? There's not information on this, which is worrisome because I feel like if there's no information, then it's probably not happening. So with these programs that we talked about, we can see that they sound great in logistics. They sound like, okay, great. We are going to be able to give these people the aid that they need, that we are going to be give them, able to give them food benefits, healthcare benefits, which is great. But when we see this in actuality, we see that there is no help being provided to these people. We see that the Native American women are still struggling and have been for years. So why is it not working? Why are there still people that are not being able to receive the aid? And especially now when we have the ability to, for, to provide that resource for them, why is it not working? So some things we can try to help the situation, try to help these individuals. One thing that I always like to say, and I know this is cliche, is education. But bringing in the two factors of health equity and um, cultural humility. Cultural humility being the openness to listen and see other perspectives from um, individuals of other cultures. But also with health equity, just everyone receiving and being eligible to receive the same amount of health care or benefits of a program. So what we want to try to bring awareness to is just how these programs, they seem beneficial, like Betty said, but they're not doing as much as they're saying. So we want to try to just educate, 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 educate people, bring awareness to this situation, because I feel like we don't know enough about this. We did not, I can tell you right now, like I said before, we probably didn't know enough about this before we even started doing this podcast, which is alarming. And I think that this is a really important thing that people should be discussing, especially in today's age where we're all about change. Um, and I haven't even heard about this once. So we definitely want to bring change and awareness to this situation, but also not even with just the programs, but for pe- these individuals to receive good health care or just have access to some sort of health care that they can be able to fight these mental illnesses and chronic conditions that we haven't even covered today because of this poverty. We want them to be able to have access to health care that can help them with these, you know, things that they're going through um, day to day on a day to day basis. Um, so it's just definitely important to increase accessibility Um, And there's definitely ways we can do that, um, but that's for another day. So, yeah. Thank you for listening to us. I feel that we have covered a lot in this conversation. And I think we hope, from what we've learned, we hope that we also were able to teach you just the severity of some of these situations. And we hope that we kind of open your eyes a little bit more to what is going on in this country regarding Native American women and the healthcare that they are not receiving. And... Uh, Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening. Have a nice night.